any circumstance in which I'll ever have the opportunity to have sex again. <laughs> How's it gonna happen? <laughs> I, I just don't see how it could occur. It is finally draft week. It is the week that all football fans can come together, the week that all football fans can unite and can be unrealistically optimistic about the future. It's also week two of Seinfeld. If you missed last week's episode, it's week two of my first run-through of Seinfeld. It felt great last week. It feels even better this week. It'll probably feel even better next week. Andrew Doughty here on the High Motor Podcast. It is NFL Draft Week. And if you did miss... Last week's episode, it was a good one. Dane Brugler from The Athletic, Thor Nystrom from Roto World. They were on for an all-draft episode. We covered a ton of ground there, covered a lot of topics, a lot of teams, some dream first-round scenarios. That's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, just Google High Motor Podcast. You can find it. Hit me up on Twitter at adowdy 88 or at High Motor Pod if you can't find it for whatever reason. we got some good guests coming up in the next few weeks, some good guests Today for this episode, another all-draft episode of the High Motor Podcast. First on the show, we're going to have Taylor Rapp, former Washington safety. He's going to be on the show in a minute. I also had some media time with Mel Kuyper Jr. earlier today, Monday. I've had a chance uh, to chat with him and Todd McShay last few weeks. Had another opportunity today to talk right before the draft. I have a few clips I want to play from that conversation. And then the third guest on the High Motor Podcast this week, Brian McLaughlin. He is the best in the business when it comes to FCS football. A lot of things I want to get from him. Tons of FCS prospects to hit on. So when your team drafts Titus Howard or Keelan Doss or whoever in the second, third, fourth round, you'll have a little bit to talk about. I want to ask him who's going to be this year's Darius Leonard. I want to ask him a couple of mailbag questions. Dan Hawkins, friend of the show, he submitted a, a very important mailbag question for Brian. So we'll get to that. First, Taylor Rapp. Second, Mel Kuyper Jr., third Brian McLaughlin. It is draft week on the High Motor Podcast. Taylor Rapp now joining the show, former Washington safety, kind enough to chat during draft week. Taylor, how much of a sense do you have of what's going to happen on on Thursday or Friday night? Uh, What range you could go in, where you could land? How much of a sense do you have of what could happen? Come draft day, anything can happen, but I mean, I, I kind of have a, a pretty good sense of just talking to teams and talking to my agent and stuff like that, um, you know, the back end of the first round and early second round, but I mean, anything could happen come draft day, I've heard crazy stories of um, people who, who aren't meant to go in, in the first round or who, who, who slide all the way back until second or third round, so I mean, I really have no expectations going into draft day. You know, I talk a lot each year with, with other media members that are kind of in the weeds and, and getting the actual um, you know, input from teams and agents and whatnot, and they talk about how difficult it is to sort through misinformation this time of the year. Do, I mean, do you have any problem with that or any opinion on that? Do you hear things that you're not really sure if, if you should believe or not from, from different teams? Yeah, I mean, there's always, there's always some stuff that you kind of have to sort through and try to figure out yourself, and um, I mean... My agent and I, uh, Doug Hendrickson and CJ LeBoy, we we do a great job. We have a very good relationship, and we, we try to sort through them all. And, um, there's not really 
really been any instances uh, this year where there's been any uh, BS or lying or anything like that. Because you've played in different spots in college, you started as a nickel a few years ago, uh, you played the safety positions, and the safety position has changed so much even in the last you know three, four, five years, both in college and the NFL. And I remember a few weeks back, on Twitter, Adrian Amos, former Bears safety, now with the Packers, he was responding to some fan questions, and one fan just asked him flat out if he's a strong safety or a free safety, and he responded to something to the effect of, you know, I'm both, the game has changed so much, I'm not really a strong or a free, I can do whatever uh, they need me to do, something like that, and because you don't, I mean, you've played so many different positions, you don't have a very specific spot on the field, um, you know, like a left tackle or like an edge rusher, um, you know, teams that are seeking a specific position like one of those two. Does that give you less of an idea of where you could maybe fall as you and your agent look at teams with specific needs? No, not at all. I think the more versatility is, is the better, and I think versatility is my best asset. So, I mean, like you said, I've played in my three years at uh, at Washington, my college my college career, I played all over the place, starting to take them in both safety positions, and then sometimes in our dime package, going down to like a linebacker, uh, we call it our money position, um, on some third down packages. So I mean, I showed that I can really do everything. You know, I cover a deep third, cover a deep half, uh, I can run the alley and tackle. I'm a great open field space tackler. I can blitz. Um, I can cover running back, receiver, tight end. You know, I think I'm the complete package. So, I mean, I think if anything, versatility, uh, you know, helps your draft stock. And And when you are picked, whether that is on Thursday night or on Friday, you're going to be the second ever Chinese-American draft. And over the last few months, you've talked a lot about growing up as an Asian-American athlete. Uh, There was that really good article on NFL.com, I think, back in February. And then also with this Hyundai rolling with the rookies uh, program that just dropped a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, it's is is it getting? I guess my question is, when you were you know kind of talking about it back in high school, you go to these football camps, and right away they would just put you in the back of the line because they kind of just assumed because you were an Asian American football player that you just couldn't play. So during draft prep, do you still feel like you're fighting those assumptions, or do you feel like your play in college kind of ended all of that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I still use it as like a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, I would I would hope that uh, these NFL teams and these executives uh, kind of look past what I look like, just because it, you know, the tape speaks for itself, and all you got to do is turn on the tape. And a, a football player is a football player. Does it feel like a big deal that you will be the second ever Chinese American drafted, or have you? I know I think in in a tweet or in a video you said something to the effect of, "Yeah, it's it's great kind of being a part of history, but." When you grew up, there was nobody really to look up to. I think in that article I mentioned Jeremy Lin, but there was no real like football player to look up to that was a Chinese American or was an Asian American. So yeah, you appreciate being part of the history, but does it does it really feel like that big of a deal? Or are you kind of looking ahead because you're going to be that role model then for maybe a kid that's ten or fifteen years younger than you are? Yeah, I mean you hit it right on the nail right there. Um, for me, I mean history is cool and all, but. It's, it's beyond history for me, and it's about, it's really just about inspiring these young Asian American kids who uh, are in my position that I was, one, I once was in uh, growing up, that I didn't have anyone to look up to. I want to be that, you know, role model or uh, figure for them to look up to and inspire them and show them that, um, you know, anything 
So during this draft process, you obviously, I mean, you've talked with a lot of people and before you had, um, you know, found your agents. I'm sure you talked to different agents and you've been talking to teams and doing interviews like that. And without getting um, into, you know, too many specifics that I'm sure you might want not want to divulge, does does your your heritage, does your, does your family's history, does that come up? Do, do people ask you about it a lot or is it kind of just they're off to the side? Yeah, I mean... There's some people who ask me about it, but it's it's really not that often at all, as much as you know some might think. How I mean, generally, how has draft prep gone for you? I know that I just asked you before we hopped on here how it's gone. You said it's been a good process, but you're you're looking forward to it to it being over. Has it been about what you expect? I know you've played with a lot of guys in the past that have gone on to the NFL, so I'm, I'm sure you've talked to them about how the process went. Has it gone about as as you expected it would go? Yeah, it's just it, it's gone to you know a certain extent. Um, you know, it's just really the overall process and uh, draft process has kind of been overwhelming at some times and, you know, more a lot more intense than I thought and in-depth than I thought. I mean, just leading up to the combine and how grueling the, the combine was or how long those four days were. And then, um, you know, just pro day, visiting all these teams, visiting all, uh, talking, meeting with all the position coaches and just, um, also, the top 30 visits, how how long those days are traveling. You know, I think I went over to the East Coast two different, two separate trips. So, I mean, those those days and uh, this month has kind of been hectic. And so, I, I really just think it's kind of the overall process. Is, it's a lot more uh, intense and hectic than I thought. Now, I mentioned that you have played with guys in the past, Kevin King, Buda Baker, uh, several other players that have gone to the NFL. Have you talked with them about uh, you know, what to expect after you are drafted and whether that's the, the feelings and emotions of the moment or actually the process itself? Have you leaned on those guys to kind of figure out uh, how to move forward after it actually happens? Yeah, quite a bit. I, I've, I've spoken to them, uh, you know, uh, for the past two or three years, you know, from when they did get drafted and then, you know, checking in on them and them checking in on me, seeing how I'm doing, and then uh, just kind of asking advice, like you said, throughout this whole process after I did declare and this whole draft process. And, um, you know, just I think the biggest thing that they said was the biggest difference was obviously the game speed, but also uh, stepping into a locker room with uh, not – not stepped into a locker room with kids ranging from you know that could be three four years older than you at most you're stepping into a locker room with some grown men and you know it could be 10 15 year old vets who have full families that they go home to and you're just a 21 year old kid so you know that they said that that's the biggest difference and then also um you know just the whole uh the whole nfl just it, it being a business and you know everything revolving around um, winning games and it's just really being a business. All right, Taylor, I'll let you go. I know you got a, a busy week. You know, congrats on everything. I hope all goes well uh, Thursday, Friday night, whenever you are selected. And best of luck this summer. Thanks a lot for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Like I mentioned in the open, I had some time with Mel Kuyper Jr. today, and all of the the first-round discussions have kind of already been had. Most have been beaten to death, so I wanted to go just outside the first round. I asked him about some guys 
whom he's projecting to go outside of the first round that he's just buying a ton of stock in as an NFL player. He gave a ton of guys there uh, outside the first that he's buying a lot of stock in. And then afterwards, staying outside of that first round, somebody else actually asked this question, but it's something I want to put in here. And it's something that Thor Nystrom talked a little bit about on the show last week. It's receiver depth. You know, what guys going into day three are going to be there that he likes a lot, that a team that maybe didn't address it in days one and two might go after a receiver or two in the, in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. So let me play that audio now. Well, I think when you look at the second round, uh, you know, for Miles Sanders, running back out of Penn State, really like him, and he's going to probably be a second-round pick, not a first-round pick and not a top pick like Saquon Barkley was, but he took over for Barkley and did a really good job. I'm buying Debo Samuel wide receiver South Carolina, or J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, wide receiver Stanford. I think they're two really good players at that point. And a, and a, a tight end that I, I think is going to be a little bit of a, of a, I wouldn't say a sleeper, but an, an under-the-radar guy is Kahale Waring at a San Diego State. Certainly keep an eye on him. And I like Dalton Reisner and Caleb McGarry, two tackles uh, in the second round, as well as Connor McGovern, a guard out of Penn State in the second round. And as far as defensive linemen are concerned, at the defensive tackle spot, uh, Kalen, uh, Colin Saunders, defensive attack out of Western Illinois. I've talked about him a lot uh, over the last couple months. I really like him. And Chase Winovich, outside linebacker from Michigan, like him in the second round. I would certainly buy him. And a couple corners, Lonnie Johnson, Jr., Kentucky, Justin Lane, Michigan State could be really good picks in round two, as well as safeties, Juan Thornhill, Virginia, Kerry Willis, Michigan State, and Will Harris, Boston College. There's a host of safeties and wide receivers are going to be really good second round picks. Yeah, I think Andy Isabella from UMass, one of the fastest players in the draft, if not the fastest and what he did against SEC foes was pretty impressive, and he has returnability. So I think you get an Andy Isabella third, fourth round. If you can get a if Terry McLaurin from Ohio State drop down there with his special teams ability and his speed, uh, he would be a really good pick. Nicole Hardman with his speed and his returnability out of Georgia. Penny Hart, same thing, slot guy out of Georgia State would be interesting. Deontay Johnson out of Toledo. Uh, I think there's going to, like I said, there's, you're going to see some really good, if you want to roll the dice when a kid had the off-the-field issue and didn't have a great pro day, but had a phenomenal year. It was Preston Williams at Colorado State. If you're looking at a late round guy who's got a chance to play better than some of the guys go in the second, third round. So I think it's going to be a really good group of, I mean, right now I have I have 49 receivers with makeable grades. So that's that's pretty impressive when you get that many that at least you think, think have a chance to stick on an NFL roster. NFL Draft Week here on the High Motor Podcast. We got Brian McLaughlin, my Hero Sports colleague, and it wouldn't be a complete draft week without Brian covering FCS coast to coast like really nobody else in the business. And Brian, let's jump in with uh, something pretty important from this week's mailbag. And I'll get to the other mailbag questions here in a little bit, but this one's pretty important. It comes from your buddy Dan Hawkins. You know, it's somebody that you know well. He was on the show a couple of months ago. Really great interview uh, with him back. I think that was the first week of February. Check that out if you haven't. And Coach Hawkins just wants to know this. He wants to know who's ranking higher on your big board. Is it Godzilla or, or Mothra? I have no idea what Mothra even is. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, my first response was, you know, was was uh, was Coach Hawkins trying to one up us with uh, some mysterious monster from Greek mythology or something <laughs> that proves he's well read, and I know I'm not. You know, uh, I really don't know who Mothra is, so I'm going to have to go with Godzilla yeah, on I that. Yeah, I thought you would know who Mothra is. You're I should, right? Me, so I just assume that you would know who Mothra is. I, I mean, I looked it up. It seems to be some sort of a bee butterfly combo that terrorizes cities. <laughs> yeah. That, hey, all I know is that 
that fits coach you know that that really does fit uh coach hawkins who i gotta share with you real quick i mean when i was at the sporting news my uh my supervisor the college editor was derek sampson who's at yahoo sports now and and uh and at the time coach hawkins was coaching at colorado you know and some of the stuff that they were sending out uh, recruiting materials to kids was the most creative stuff I had ever seen. And I was covering college recruiting at the time. Um, and I remember Matt Barkley telling me about the stuff that they were getting from Colorado, you know, before he ever signed with uh, Southern Cal. And and then after Mar- uh, Matt Barkley, there were a bunch of guys that told me, man, they're really creative at Colorado. And Derek, my editor, said, oh, yeah, I covered Coach Hawkins at Boise State, man. He is a trip. You know, if you ever cross paths with him, he's he's awesome. You'll you'll enjoy working with him. And who knew that it would be 10 years after uh, and, and he would be at the FCS level. And, and uh, yeah, we go back and forth a lot on PM. Um, he, he is he's a trip. He's media savvy. Uh, he gets what you and I do because he's done it, too. And um, and, you know, he along with the Godzilla questions, he also has a big uh, big draft prospect this weekend with Keelan Doss, who would uh, bring a lot of national attention to UC Davis, which is Coach Hawkins' is alma mater. So uh, I think Coach will be busy watching the draft this weekend. Yeah, and I want to ask you about Doss in a little bit, but but first, before we mm-hmm. get to that, I kind of want to ask you about the your process of covering the draft. And when I say the draft, I mean, I mean the entire thing from the announcements, the combine, pro days, visits. Not, not a ton of FCS guys go to the combine every day, but all of that stuff, when you cover it, it's just so much more different than these national guys that cover FBS uh, prospects. And, yeah, they do cover some FCS prospects, like Nasir Adderley. We'll talk about him in a little bit. A lot of mm-hmm. national guys have been talking about someone like Keelan Doss this year. But you doing it, it's just a little bit different. You know, the other day we were just chatting about pro day, pro day numbers, which I would think those would be pretty simple to, to obtain. I mean, they're going to share them with you, whether it's the, 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 the prospect, the school, the agents, uh, teams, whoever, and they're just black and white numbers. I mean, there's no <laughs> really subjective evaluation I on the wish. number. The guy ran a four four five, then he ran a four four five. If he ran a four six, then he ran a four six. I mean, yeah, the actual execution of the forty or the drill that can be subjective, but the numbers themselves are just that. They're just numbers. So why is it why is it so difficult to get everyone on the same page with this stuff, and how does that process even work? How is it so different for the FCS uh, compared to guys that are? rank generally in that same range but they play in the fbs yeah it's probably the hardest thing that i do all year when it comes to um you know contacting fcs schools and trying to get their uh help and participation but the, what I, what i have found over the years is it's not the schools the schools will help you um this is all positive stuff for the schools as it turns out you know the scouts run the pro days and they keep it to themselves for the most part now i do have you know, a strength coach here and there, or or a uh, you know a DFO, director of football operations type guy, uh, who I've met and talked to over the years that might do a screen grab of the of the results, which they're I don't even think they're supposed to, and they'll send it to me privately, and I'll and I'll write a story off of it. You know, um, other in other instances, some schools it is totally open, and they will send you full results within an hour on you know on a press release. Other schools, you don't hear a thing. So it's like, it's really hard to make it a consistent thing where you cover every single one of them and give it all a pub and a headline because this guy did something to open up doors. It's um, the scouts 
love to play play with their poker face on with a lot of this stuff. And um, you know, there are instances where if uh, you know, I know I've mentioned this to you before, where if three scouts go to an FCS pro day, which is obviously a small amount, they feel like, hey, we're the ones who made the effort to come here and put this on, um, and we have a hidden gem here, and we're going to kind of hide them. You know, we beat the bushes. You know, there aren't 31, 32 teams out here. We beat the bushes. So, you know, this is a kid that we think we can get within 15 minutes after the draft ends to be a, you know, a high-end free agent for us, and we're the ones who did the work. Uh, so when you so say let's, hide them, I know you talked about this a little bit, but we haven't gone yeah. too in-depth. When you say hide them, do you mean that they're – and I know that some teams share through different databases and scouting things like that with other NFL teams. When mm-hmm. you say hide them, do you mean that they're just not sharing these numbers? They're reporting different numbers? They sometimes I, – I have heard from athletes that they will be told directly from agents – I'm, I'm not agents, but scouts, what they, you know, ran in the 40, which let's let's face it, the 40 is the most important thing they do. Next, I'd say, is the bench, depending on position, and then you go from there. But um, I've been told that a scout will tell this, you know, this kid that he ran a 4-4-4, four, 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 and what's reported to the central database uh, among scouts where they share their data, I think gentlemen's agreement, uh, will show up as a 4-5-8. And, you know, th- there are games played with this material. And when you're talking about guys at the FCS level where, let's face it, I mean, it. this is – and I've used this description before. This is one strike and you're out. And I'm not talking about something off the field. I'm talking this is your chance and this is it. And you're being told a time that doesn't fit what's being reported. Um, it's a – it's kind of messed up, to be honest with you, I think. The Pro Day thing is is the Wild West, I think, when it comes to you – know, because if a guy's at Clemson or Ohio State, nobody he ain't going to sneak through. It, it's not He's not going to slip through the cracks. He's been on a national stage for four years or three years or whatever uh, and dominated, and there's all kinds of data and there's all kinds of eyeballs. But when, you know, a kid goes to, you know, Wagner College uh, – you know, and, and only three people show up to that pro day or, or you know, maybe a school out west, uh, maybe only three people showed up at Sacramento State's pro day. Uh, if a guy blows up, you, you can kind of keep him under wraps. And then the other schools, uh, the other franchises don't know about him, and they won't scoop him up on, on Saturday night right after the draft. And he could turn out to be a guy that makes uh, makes the 53 – Man, roster playing special teams. You never know. And uh, that's the kind of game I think I've seen. And one guy whose numbers have been, haven't had a whole lot of trouble widely circulating because he's been on the national radar uh, for several months now, Delaware safety Nasir Adderley. Some mm-hmm. projections that he could go in the first round Thursday night. And I know that you and your FCS colleague Sam Herter spent a lot of time watching CAA football over the last uh, few years. A really simple here is Adderley as good as advertised. Yeah, he is. And, and Delaware, you know, Delaware's no slouch program. Uh, it's it's really funny, and I, we could talk about this uh, this offensive lineman at Villanova, Brandon Hittner, later. But, you know, I was interviewing Brandon on Friday, and he's looking like a day three lock at this point. He's really shot through the roof. And he was telling me, he goes, man, people don't understand how good the CAA is. He goes, you know, we – he goes, I've played with – five draft picks during my time at Villanova. You know, we play against James Madison. 
you know, we play against Delaware, who has had great players come through that program. And then on top of that, every year, you know, we play Temple or we play Pitt. And, you know, with Brandon's situation, they beat Temple, you know, with all those great draft prospects here in the last uh, last year or two. And, you know, Villanova went up and beat them. And Villanova was a middle-of-the-pack CAA team this year. So if that doesn't set the table for, like, what Delaware plays within, I mean, Delaware's defense last year, I, I want to say, I can't remember if they played Pitt or Virginia Tech. They played one of those, you know, strong FBS uh, P5 programs and defensively held their own. I mean, they they didn't move the ball much on them, but um, I think it was Virginia Tech. Yeah, and, talking yeah, about. yeah it, was one of, it was either Pitt or Virginia Tech or one of the ACC schools. I mean, and Delaware's not even quite set yet with its, you know, they're, they're two years in the new coaching staff and they're kind of trying to find themselves. But they already have athletes on campus that, you know, can play some ball. And this year is one of them. Um, you know, Troy Reader is another one. Troy Reader might get drafted out of Delaware, uh, the linebacker. Now, Troy's a little different story. He started out at Penn State. But, um, you know, those are the kinds of guys coming to Delaware. And, Nasir, ever since the fall, has just been blowing up. Uh, you know, he did the Senior Bowl. And then he he's even had some injury issues this spring, and it really has not hurt his draft stock, if that tells you anything. And that's, like I said, man, usually it's one strike and you're out from this level. So to not have uh, his draft stock hurt by the injury, you know, he's got a, kind of a nagging left hamstring thing going on in it. I think it slowed him down a little bit in his 40. I think he ran like a 4.6. But he's actually faster than that, and everybody seems to know that. So uh, he's going to be pretty happy this weekend, man, I think. Yeah, I that was back in 2017. I'm not sure if you're thinking of 2017. They didn't, have, they didn't play uh, FBS last year, but then 2017 they played Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, they actually held the Hokies at 81 rushing yards. I mean, 220 yep. passing That's yards the game out. I'm thinking of. That's what Delaware. It was an illustrious, you know, high-power Virginia Tech offense, too. But, I mean, 15 first downs, two of which came by penalties. So they held Virginia Tech to, to 13 non-penalty first downs, 2.9 yards uh, per rush. I think they forced a couple of turnovers in that game. They actually moved them. I mean, they didn't score any points, but they actually moved the ball a little bit. And that's what scouts – That those are the games. that Those are the games that open the doors. I guarantee you, um, you know, erase the score. I think it was, what, 20, 20 to nothing, 21 to nothing. But yeah. you know, whatever it was, you know, and I, I'm sure it was garbage touchdowns late. That's what always happens. But when you're talking about ones versus ones for the first half, Delaware's players could hang with Virginia Tech's players. And that is the kind of film the scouts want to see first. I mean, it, it, it's the first thing you ever get asked. You know, what, what'd you do against the biggest teams you played? You know, uh, and, and when you break out the film and Nasir had a good game or Troy Reader had a good game or Charles Bell, who was another good defensive player at Delaware, had a good game. I mean, that's, that gets things rolling a little bit, obviously, for your rep, and it makes people keep a, keep an eye on you more than maybe they would for an FCS player. And that's that's really what happened with Adderley is, is – I think games like that and um, <laughs> games like James Madison, which, you know, basically is an FBS program. Who are we kidding? You know, he's he's played well. He also played against North Dakota State this past year, which uh, North Dakota State kind of jumped all over Delaware. But, you know, everybody respects NDSU. And, and I think Nasir had, had some plays in that game. You know, I think they, they got whooped as a team. But, you know, those kind of 
games do get you kind of on the radar screen. So, Tons and tons of guys in that second tier behind Adderley. Just before we hopped on the show, we were talking about uh, Alabama State's Titus Howard, uh, South yeah. Dakota State's Jordan Brown, Keelan Doss, you mentioned earlier, Kalen Saunders, defensive tackle from uh, Western Illinois, all those guys who could be you know day two, early day three picks. And that's kind of where... Darius Leonard going into the draft was projected to go last year, but he went a little bit earlier than most expected. Early for um, excuse me, early second round pick to the Colts, and then obviously the first team All Pro selection. So the the impossibly difficult to answer question for you is is who is this year's Darius Leonard, or maybe the easier question is who in that second tier, you know, whether that's Howard Brown, Dawes, Saunders, whoever, who's in that second tier that has the best chance to be this year's Darius Leonard if they land in the right situation. You know, because Darius Leonard came from an HBCU, I think that's a good comparison. You know, he went to South Carolina State. Um, He and Brandon Parker at North Carolina A&T last year really shot through the roof as far as reputation coming out of HBCU schools. Um, And I, I think that's a good comparison, even though it's not the same position. Obviously, Leonard's a linebacker. Uh, Titus Howard that you mentioned out of Alabama State is, you know, an offensive lineman. But the HBCUs don't get, amazingly, do not get scouted as much as a CAA or a Missouri Valley. Um, and, and and it's weird because HBCUs, like like Titus Howard played against Auburn last fall, you know. So he, he, got, he got to get on the field against an SEC team. But for some reason it feels, it just seems like, the HBCU guys really, really, really need the spring to blow up, and uh, they need, you know, they they've really got to earn it at the, uh, you know, the All Star games. And it's crazy to think about because the HBCUs are where all the <laughs> all the Hall of Famers are from the FCS level. You know, when you think about uh, Walter Payton and Jerry Rice and all those guys. So um, I'll go with Titus because. When Titus went into the All-Star Games, he was not known that well. Uh, and then he went to the Combine, and he his measurements, especially like you know wingspan, the kind of things that you know prove you're just a freak of nature, uh, offensive tackle. Um, I think Titus is going to be that guy because it wasn't even two, three months ago that we were talking about, oh, maybe he'll creep into the seventh round. And now we're talking about the second round, potentially. Uh, that and that's where Darius kind of surprised us all last year. You know, we all we were all thinking, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys would be ahead of Darius, and we were wrong. And then look what he did. <laughs> so uh, we'll go with Titus Howard. A couple of mailbag questions. I mentioned that we had that first one earlier from Coach Hawkins. We had a couple of uh, other ones that I wanted to get to. This one was from the FCS Nation Radio. Uh, great account for anybody who doesn't follow it. Great account awesome. to follow this week in addition to Brian. Check out that account this week. You'll see a lot of information uh, if your team does draft a kid from the FCS. And they ask, why isn't Samford quarterback Devlin Hodges getting more play? And you and I talked about this right before we hopped on. You had some interesting thoughts on Devlin Hodges um, and a lot of speculation there what is your take on Hodges I think he's incredible and and I'll, I'll just tell you it, it all started uh I want to say his sophomore year he had played really well he played he played a lot as a freshman too um but he had played really well most of that season and they were lining up for that November game against uh it's very typical down in the south where in November um you know ACC and SEC schools will will add an FCS opponent you know, right before their big rivalry game. 
you know, just give them an extra home game, all that. So, so Samford was this 50, you know, 500 type team, you know, five and five going into a game at Mississippi state. Uh, I think he was, he was matching up with Nick, Nick Fitzgerald. I think, uh, if I remember correctly. So he goes in there and he throws for 460 yards and like five touchdowns against Mississippi state. And I remember thinking, man, boy, this, this guy, he's going to be a riser. And he, he did some, but you know, I think ultimately playing in the air raid offense must be something that the scouts just blow off. But I, I don't really understand it. And I'm no genius with this. I mean, but if you've proven that you can do this and everybody knows it's coming and you can shred Florida State's defense, Mississippi State's defense, and even do some damage against Georgia last year, is any worth at least a shot at looking at? And it doesn't seem like he's getting any shot. No, I was I was just looking I, earlier today, it, and it doesn't seem like even at some of the deeper big boards. And I know when you get into the the five hundred player big board, it's like throwing a friggin' dart at the wall. I mean, he, it is guys, it is. you know, versus two hundred versus five hundred. There's not that much of a difference. I mean, every single season we'll see some of the guys in those big boards who aren't even on big boards uh, yeah, get drafted yeah. in the seventh round or be one of the priority free agents. And I mean, with Hodges being you know at six one, do you think he's not obviously not tall, but he's not this minuscule guy either? Um, how much of that you mentioned the air raid though? If if he were six three and coming out of that offense, are we seeing that much of a difference there? May, maybe I don't. I you know I I think the thing that I don't get is you know we we talk so much about the cerebral qualities of quarterbacks, obviously that that's a big deal, and you know here's a guy that's got to make three, four, or five reads, you know, and make the right one, and he's been doing it for years. Um. That's the kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it, he didn't have a bad pro day either. He's actually not a bad athlete. He was, I want to say, coming out of high school, he was labeled a dual threat type of guy. So he can get out of uh, trouble uh, and still make a good decision. So I don't know what the heck is going on. Have and I have, this I've tried. I've tried. Yeah. And, it, and it's weird because, you know, in season – when you're talking to players, you don't want to, you know, make it public because you're really supposed to go through SIDs. But I do ping the players. Hey, nice game, man. Uh, you really tore it up this, you know, this afternoon. And, and Devlin was always one of those guys who'd hit you back and, and you'd exchange a few messages with. Just keep up the working relationship, you know. And, uh, and of course, at the same time, I also would do interviews with him for stories and he was he he's great and when we were in frisco for the award ceremony and remember folks this guy won the weight walter payton award that is the heisman for the fcs level so he was at frisco national championship week and we were supposed to connect in the stadium it didn't quite happen but uh you know it's all i've always had that kind of working relationship with devlin and ever since the the trip to frisco i i haven't been able to get him to respond to me and i don't know I uh, you know I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to read between between the lines yeah, too a, much. It's obviously a dangerous game to, to speculate here, but I guess it's, I'm curious what is I, I, like what is why isn't he anywhere? I mean, I, I don't know. Where I know you mentioned right before the show is that you're wondering if he's even going to get more than just a trial when each team brings yeah. in whatever twenty some odd players. If he's going to even get more than that, so like what is going on from a guy that's the single best player, if you want to say that in in the FCS, to barely even getting a tryout? I know. I know it's uh, it's crazy, and you know he broke the twenty-five year 
career passing yardage record for the uh, FCS slash one double A level. I mean, you'd think this would get you more than just the look. And it, it, another weird thing is, a year ago, he wasn't listed as a, like a seventh or sixth rounder like Easton Stick at North Dakota State, but he was definitely on the radar as like a a priority free agent type guy. And now I'm just not seeing that. And I, so I don't know all the answers to that. I haven't been able to ask him what's going on, um, you know, but I would imagine he'll get a tryout. But after that, I don't know. I, you know, I, I can't see the Walter Payton Award winner who nearly beat Florida State last year not getting at least a, a look, you know, a tryout. But there just hasn't been a lot of activity there. Yeah, it'll be something uh, interesting to monitor come come Saturday afternoon into Sunday. All right, Brian, we'll let you go here. Uh, just heads up, win an FCS prospect, like I said, uh, is selected this weekend. Check out Brian's Twitter page, at Brian MacWriter, M-A-C Writer. You'll find all the info that you need there. Hey, Brian, always a pleasure. Good luck with the move. I hope you have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, can, uh, I can pick up on the sarcasm in your voice there, Dowdy. You know, Miles Sanders is a really interesting one. He had like 50-some-odd total carries in his first two seasons, 16 and 17. He's a former five-star recruit. Actually, he was the top-ranked running back in the 2016 class, top 25 recruit. Backed up Saquon Barkley for a couple of years. He just had 50, he had 56 total carries first two years. Then he gets the lead role last year. He didn't, you know, go through the roof with his numbers, but he still almost averaged six yards per carry, over 1,000 yards. He's Coming into the draft is this kind of rare, experienced, former highly rated recruit that doesn't have a whole lot of wear and tear on the body. Only 276 career carries, uh, a handful of catches in addition to that. And in Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay's, they did a three-round alternating mock draft last week. Uh, Miles Sanders went late in the second. He was McShay's pick to the Eagles at 57. I want to ask you, do you like Thursday or Friday night better for the draft? Hit up the show on Twitter, at HighMotorPod. I'm always curious, who prefers the first round Thursday versus the second and third on Friday better? Bigger names, more headline trades on Thursday, but Friday you get just so many guys that were projected as first rounders at some point in the, in the last few months that are falling, for whatever reason, medicals off the field issues that are supremely talented. They are projected as first rounders in various drafts over the last three or four months, literally dozens of guys mentioned as possible first-round picks. Teams get the night to reset and then come back in the second round on Friday. So which night do you prefer? Hit up the pod on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. I'm curious. For now, let's call it on High Motor. Thanks again to Taylor and Brian for chatting. Thanks to Mel for his time. I'm going to be back next week. Draft recap. So many good guests coming up, like I said. I'm working out... Uh, Working on filling out the guest schedule. I think you're going to like some of these upcoming guests. First round Thursday, second and third on Friday, fourth through seven on Saturday. It is draft week. Enjoy it. Enjoy the NFL draft. And thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast this week. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside. The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces